0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy nalpa Another year, another deficit. Actually, Connecticut faces a $1.5 billion hole the next fiscal year, an even deeper hole the following year. So how will Governor Malloy and the General Assembly tackle this big problem? Today we're talking about the bruising budget battle ahead. The Malloy administration is betting on labor concessions and has proposed new revenue streams. The governor has also pledged to help struggling cities overburdened by huge mill rates, but that means many towns across the state will get less state aid. So should property owners just assume their tax bills will be getting bigger? Coming up, the Hartford Current State House reporter Daniela Altamari will tell us more. And later, members of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities will join us to react to the governor's budget plan and offer up their suggestions. We'll also be joined by members of the General Assembly from both sides of the aisle to talk about how legislators plan on getting Connecticut back into the black, all while trying to meet the needs of their constituents. Now how would you rate the job your government leaders are doing? Do you think connecticut will ever get its fiscal house in order you can join the conversation this hour 860-275-7266 email where we live at wmpr.org and as always find us on facebook and twitter at where we live i want to welcome daniela altamari to the studio again she's state house reporter at the hartford current welcome back to the show daniela hi so tell me about um governor malloy's budget he obviously announced it a little bit earlier this month. But give us a sense of, again, how big
2: the hole is and what are some of the options? Well, the hole's very big uh, and getting bigger every year, which is um, part of the problem. Um, so, uh, the governor did, uh, propose this budget. It's very complicated and, you know, has a lot of, uh, moving parts to it. Um, but, uh, there, there is uh, some agreement at the, at the state capitol, at least among, uh, the legislature that, um, there's a lot that they, that lawmakers don't like about this budget. There are many, many pieces and, and again, it is a, a complicated document that seeks to do a lot. It's pretty ambitious. Um, but um, there's a lot uh, to not like for, for many lawmakers.
0: So, give us an idea. Um, we, again, we've been hearing a lot about this idea of helping struggling cities like Hartford, um, but that's going to mean that um, state funding to wealthier towns is going to be reduced. That's obviously
2: controversial. Very controversial. And that's one of the things that, you know, no lawmaker is going to vote for a budget that gives their town less money. I mean, I live in West Hartford, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a mini rebellion over there right now. Now, over, you know, if you look on some of these community Facebook pages, people are really (laughs) fired up because um, the town stands to get significantly less. And, you know, I I don't see how uh, a lawmaker from, you know, whatever district you're in, House or Senate, Republican or Democrat, um, how you can support a budget that gives your community less money, even if, you know, it does do the things that the governor uh, is seeking to do, Um, not raise state taxes. Obviously, there's a big asterisk (laughs) there, but um, and, um, you know, close the deficit and not have have widespread layoffs of state employees. Still, if your town is getting less money, and your representative from X Y Z community, um, you know your your direct constituents are going to be pretty angry if your town is getting less money. You said
0: an asterisk on not raising taxes because okay, so the governor says I'm not raising taxes. The reality is local. Towns and other cities, if they need more revenue, they're going to have to do that.
2: Well, exactly. And if you're a taxpayer, does it really matter if the tax is a state tax or a a local tax? I mean, ultimately, it all comes out of your budget and your pocketbooks, so it it hurts either way. Um, You know what the governor is trying to do? You know, people have called this kind of the Robin Hood budget. You know, redistribution of of funding from you know the the wealthier towns, quote unquote, wealthier towns, to the more struggling towns. Um, And he's done a number of things to try to you know to Try to help cities like Hartford and you know some of the other major cities that that are really having some some pretty big financial problems, um, but again, you know uh, if you're representing one of those quote unquote wealthy towns, you still have needs and you might say, wait a minute, you know we're getting shortchanged in this. So what's the solution then? Because we know that
0: it's the pension liabilities. The state didn't pay this fund for years, and now it's all coming to head. So you know how can um, the state figure out a way? To not only meet those liabilities, but to make sure that the state aid doesn't get cut so
2: drastically. Well, that's the (laughs) eighty, whatever you know, billion dollar question. (laughs) I mean, um, if any of us could figure it out, uh, we would probably be governor. I mean, you know, you have to sort of appreciate the difficult position Governor Malloy is in, as he frequently reminds us. You know, he inherited this. Now he's been in office six years. He did approve, um, you know, the two largest uh, tax hikes in state history. So um, maybe that argument is starting to wear a little bit thinner. But um, but still, it's, you know, these are problems that have been in the making for decades. And now, you know, we happen to be the ones that are having to deal with them. So it's kind of unfair uh, to him and to others. But you know what, that's just the way
0: it is. This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall In studio with me is Daniela Altamare, statehouse reporter at the Hartford Current. Today, we're talking about the budget proposal proposal. proposal that Governor Malloy unveiled earlier this month. Coming up, we're going to hear from some legislators, also some municipal leaders about this budget. And we'll take some of your phone calls. Um, Danielle, if we could talk a little bit further. Um, So obviously, the cuts to state aid to uh, lots of towns, um, that's controversial. But this budget also calls for $1.36 billion in reduced spending. But let's break that down. When, when the governor's administration says that,
2: what are they betting on? Well, they're betting on that they can come to some sort of agreement uh, with uh, the state employee unions. They're having discussions. Anytime we try to call these negotiations, we're, we're corrected. It's not, nego- it's not formal negotiations, but there are ongoing discussions. And I think both sides are hoping uh, or saying that they're hoping that uh, some type of an agreement can be reached. If not, though, that will translate into mass layoffs. Of state employees, we're and, talking more than four thousand. Yes, and that's something you know nobody really wants. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure the governor doesn't want it. I know he doesn't. I, I don't think anybody wants it um, because that would be incredibly painful. Um, but um, the money's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> they're digging up the couch cushions. They're looking <laughs> everywhere, and um, you know they've got to try to find it. Speaking of where the money's going to come from, um, the M-
0: Malloy is looking at hospitals.
2: Yeah. So that, this is really, in some ways, a pretty radical budget because um, it proposes doing something that's never been done before in Connecticut, which is taxing nonprofit hospitals. You know, right now they pay um, a portion of uh, money in lieu of taxes to municipalities. Cities like Hartford and, and New Haven, big cities that have lots of nonprofit institutions in them, though that property is obviously not taxed. What the governor is proposing to do is allow communities, it's not mandatory, but they would have that option to tax nonprofit hospital uh, property, just real estate, not the MRI machines, not all the other stuff that hospitals have, the computers and everything else, just the the property. And that would give them another form of of revenue. And then sort of on the back end, the the governor is saying to the hospitals, um, you know, you're going to get taxed if the community decides to do that, but you're going to be made more than whole by this, Sort of Medicaid formula that we're going to, it's again very complicated, but they're going to try to seek uh, to maximize federal reimbursements. Of course, that. Is all dependent on what's happening in Washington, which Mm -hmm. nobody really knows. Um, The Republicans have said they're going to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So um, any sort of agreement, the hospitals are very wary in entering into any sort of agreement with uh, state government that hinges on what may or may not happen on the federal level. So they're sort of like, wait a minute, we're not going to do this because, you know, you're telling us we would have to be taxed today and we might get more money some point in the future if things don't change. Well, you know, we can't really bank on that. So um, the Malloy administration, uh, they
0: had looked at the hospital system in the past in 2011. There's a hospital tax. Yes,
2: yes. There's a long history, um, and the hospital folks will remind you of that. <laughs> They're like, we've seen this movie before. We don't like the ending, and um, you know, we, we there's a even Ben Barnes, the governor's budget chief, had, has acknowledged there's a deep level of mistrust there between those two parties.
0: You know, there's a you know sentiment out there. Well, why don't they just? Why doesn't the state just tax the wealthy more? Let's talk about that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's something we hear about a lot at the Capitol, certainly from the unions. Um, tax the rich. You know, there's something called the carried interest um, uh, proposal that would, you know, um, I- impact, you know, the very wealthy uh, taxpayers. The governor has been incredibly resistant um, for a number of reasons uh, to do that. But that's the solution. That's what the unions say. You know what? We can solve this budget mess, you know, at least for this year pretty pretty quickly and pretty easily if we just raise taxes on the highest Earners. But Malloy is not biting. Biting he, that <laughs> he's not biting that. Um, he is just you know, and there's there's quite a few legislators that are pushing that. Um, the, certainly, the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party is is kind of embracing that idea. You know that we could solve our problems by you know redistributing re, redistributing the wealth. Um, that's not the right word, but, you know, <laughs> rejiggering the formula mm-hmm. so that the rich pay more. Um, but there's a lot of resistance to that.
0: And middle class is also getting impact from this budget with the earned income tax credit. Also, property tax credit is going to be going.
2: Yeah, away. the property tax credit is a big one for for the middle class. That's, you know, so again, you know, when the governor says there's no, there's no um, tax increase in this budget, that's part of the big asterisk that, you know, um, certainly, it doesn't really matter. If you're losing this credit, you might see, you know, that you're paying more money or you're not getting as much money back. So maybe there is an increase. You, it's impacting your, you know, whether you call it a tax increase or call it something else, it impacts you either way. And how much money would the state stand to gain by you know, eliminating that credit? I, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but, um, but I know that, you know, that is a very, very popular thing. Um, provision for, you know, homeowners and, uh, you know, people sort of in the middle income folks that, um, you know, that really depend on that. And then you mentioned the earned income tax credit that affects the working poor. And that's going to be, according to the governor's budget, that's going to be scaled back fairly small amount. But again, it's a couple hundred dollars in people's pocket. And if you're, uh, you know, we've talked to one woman uh, working mom, she has three jobs, three kids, You know, two hundred and fifty dollars—that's a lot of money to her. And you know, that's the difference—you know—between you know some little extra that she might be able to afford, or helping her pay her rent, or whatever. That's a lot of money. So, uh, you know, advocates for the poor, and again, that Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party is saying—you know—the progressives are saying, "Wait a minute, why are these people being impacted? Yet, why aren't taxes going up on the on the wealthiest?" Now, again, we're
0: going to have—we're going to be having some legislators on the show in just a little bit. I want to take a quick call. Jackie's calling from West Hartford. Jackie, here on the show.
1: Hi. I have two questions. And actually, if this is more towards the legislators that are coming on later. Um, first is, in terms of the governor's budget, um, what do they foresee is the impact on house prices? I live in West Hartford, and as the taxes are going up, I'm starting to notice that the sales price of houses are going down, because obviously people only have a certain amount of budget. So I'd like to know what the legislators think about that. And also, my second question for them is, we keep talking about cutting and raising taxes. Has anybody talked about growing the economy? Because we can only cut so much before we grow the pie. And Connecticut is a really hard place to open a business, start a business, be in business. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you, Jackie, for your questions. Um, and Danielle, did you want to address that last one about the idea of, okay, we're, we, t- we keep talking about cutting, uh, we keep talking about um, new revenue streams, but, you know, we need to grow the economy too.
2: Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why the governor has been so reluctant to, quote, tax the rich or tax big businesses, because there is, a, um, uh, there is an effect, and certainly We just went through this whole painful process with General Electric leaving the state. And one of the things that they said – now, you know, again, people question – whether or not that was a, a cover that they really just wanted to be in Boston and didn't want to be in Connecticut, that, which may be true. We don't know. But one of the things they said, at least, was that um, the inconsistency with the state budget, the you know the difficulty in planning, and a lot of businesses have said this, that it makes it really hard, um, it makes Connecticut, as the caller pointed out, a really tough place to do business. So the governor it, has been trying to sort of build some of that in, and I think that's part of that push and pull
0: before we let you go, Daniela, let's talk about you know the realities of this budget. So the governor has his proposal. Now the General Assembly needs to do the work. How much will this change before the June deadline?
2: Well, the June deadline, again, <laughs> we'll see. Are you going to be working Hopefully. in the summer? <laughs> Hopefully not. But um, there's not a lot of confidence over there in the in the building, in the statehouse right now. Um, I think, um, you know, this budget has so many pieces that people don't like. You know, first and foremost, as we started talking about, you know, the the idea that some towns are going to be getting uh, significantly less money is, uh, is a tough nut to swallow. The hospital tax is going to be tough. There's so many warring factions over there in the legislature. You have the new dynamic with the divided Senate. Um, there's just so many moving pieces. I don't think anyone can predict anything at this point. And we didn't
0: even talk about uh, getting towns and, and cities to contribute to the teachers' pension, oh. but we'll get to that <laughs> in the next segment. I want to thank Daniela Altamari, State House Reporter at the Hartford Current. Thanks so much for your time, Daniela. Thank you. Now coming up, the president of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities will join us, as well as leaders in the General Assembly. What questions do you have for them as the legislature begins to debate Governor Malloy's proposed budget? You can join the conversation 860 275 7266 Email we'll, email where we live at dot. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy nolpeth Earlier this month, Governor Malloy released his $20 billion biennial budget, and you've likely heard there are winners and there are losers. This refers to Malloy's proposal to increase state aid to struggling cities, the winners, by cutting state aid to wealthier towns, the losers. How does this break down? Hartford, with the highest mill rate, would gain more than $47 million in state aid, while the town of Groton could lose $12 million. We wanted to hear how municipalities are reacting to the governor's proposal. Joining us now in studio is Susan Bransfield first elect woman of Portland and president of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Susan, welcome to the show. Nice to be here,
3: Lucy, thank you.
0: So uh, plenty of uh, days to react to the governor's proposal. First off, in Portland, how are you going to be doing in this proposal? Um,
3: Well, the the biggest impact for us is probably the contribution to the teacher retirement system, um, which was really, I think, in terms of an initiative, something that we haven't talked about in any great detail between the state and local municipalities. So um, to the governor's credit, he's brought something to the table for us to talk about. Um, It's certainly a big surprise for our particular community, it means nearly a million dollars. That would be, let's call it an invoice, that would come due uh, December 31st of this year. Um, it's not something that we're prepared for. But what we are prepared to do is to talk about it. And um, I think putting these initiatives on the table um, from the governor's office, uh, putting initiatives on the table from the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, we have a plan for how municipalities can become winners, how how we can diversify our revenues, how we can look at cost containment, and also how we can look at sharing services.
0: I mentioned you're president of CCM. So tell us about some of those proposals to help local towns and cities come up with a revenue stream so you don't have to hike up the property tax again.
3: Sure. One of the things that um, local government deals with every year, and it's been every year since I've been for Selectman in Portland, is how do we manage property tax. Uh, Connecticut's property tax in many of our municipalities is really very high. And it's something that I think about all the time for Connecticut because we are competitive and we need to remain competitive with other states. And the property tax is high in Connecticut. Uh, In order to uh, alleviate that, we need to look at how we can diversify. How can we get revenue in from other places besides the property tax? And one of the initiatives that we're looking at is um, the sales tax. Um, That's something that maybe can be looked at to be shared among the municipalities and remain competitive. Uh, Many of our other states already diversify revenues for local government. It's something we really need to look at doing.
0: So you're the leader of the town of Portland. When, when yes. residents hear the term revenue, they're like, great. So I've got to figure out
3: another way this is going to
0: hit my, my pocketbook. Sure. What's
3: your answer sure. to them? Well, one of the things that I always like to keep my eye on is why are we here? Um, we're here to make sure that services are produced at, at a high level. And one of the most important aspects of a local government is education. Um, we have some very fine education districts in our state. We also have a safe state. Um, I pride myself and our community of being safe uh, in terms of fire, police safety, uh, making sure that our roads are well maintained. And the other thing that Connecticut has really going for it is not only our beautiful geography, but our culture, our history, and the ways um, that we have in our lifestyle. And that's something that I'm very keen on. It's why I live in Connecticut and why I think a lot of people should be attracted and come here. Um, I, I know how important it is that our businesses remain healthy. Um, And I am committed to making sure they remain healthy, as well as the people that provide the services and those that consume the services. I mean, we can get out of this dilemma, these difficulties, if we sit together with our legislators, with Connecticut Conference municipalities, local government, the state government, and number one, the constituents who pay all the bills. You can join the
0: conversation eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Joining us in studio as well is uh, Republican State Senator Paul Formica. He represents the twentieth district that includes East Lyme and New London. Also co chair of the Appropriations Committee and State Representative Jason Rojas of East Hartford and Manchester, a Democrat, also House Chair of the Finance Committee. Welcome to the show.
4: Good morning, and thank you.
0: I'll start with you, uh, State Senator uh, Paul Formica. Again, so big, big issues before the General Assembly, and it seems like every Every year, there's this billion dollar deficit that they have to figure out a way to plug. Um, you know, what's your reaction to the governor's proposal?
4: Well, I'm, you know, was a little disappointed in uh, in how it was presented, but, you know, it, it begins a conversation, as the first selectwoman woman said, and, and that's where we have to be. And I think we have to understand that. You know, the governor's proposal is not what's going to come out at the end of the day. So there's a lot of conversation uh, that's going to be done. And and the encouraging news for me is that there seems to be more of an effort uh, for bipartisan conversations uh, this year to kind of get some of our side's ideas in. You know, we have a tie in the Senate, so uh, our sides will, you know, our issues will be heard. And, and at the end of the day, we're going to have to see what's best for the taxpayer.
0: Representative Rojas.
5: Yes, that. thank you for having me on. Um, and, you know, I think the budget obviously was a shock uh, for a lot of folks to to hear um, and, and as they began to read it to better understand how it impact their individual communities. Um, I think the budget is a recognition that there really is a need for some structural changes here in the state of Connecticut that probably should have been made back in 2011 when we were coming out of the recession. That recession... I think for the state of Connecticut was a complete restructuring of our state economy given our over-reliance on financial services in Fairfield County and in Wall Street. Um, Those dollars went away. Those dollars didn't come back. We didn't really recalibrate state government and local government and our relationship with local government at that time. Um, I think the hope then was that the economy would recover as it historically always has. Connecticut was always last to go into a recession, last to come out. Um, As we were last to come out, it seemed to be longer and longer and longer that we were stuck in a recession. And I think because there were fundamental changes in our economy, and I think this budget is trying to reflect that new reality. Um, And I think the governor's challenging the legislature and locally elected officials to try to make these structural changes that are long overdue.
0: Structural changes meaning uh, finally paying into this, the pension liabilities?
5: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's something that Governor Malloy doesn't get a whole lot of credit for, right? He was the first governor in a generation to actually make the actually required contributions to the pension system. For the first 30, 40 years of the system, there were no payments made to it. And then for the next 30 years, there were some payments made to it. And when we were running... um, uh, surpluses in the 1990s, we decided to spend it on new programs instead of investing into the pension system and our long-term liabilities. Uh, the governor deserves a lot of credit for actually making those contributions.
0: Uh, Senator Formica, you know, what's your take on uh, the, making structural changes? You know, as a member of the Republicans uh, in the legislature, uh, that party's been calling for changes to the pension system for a long time. So what else needs to happen besides paying into the pension to pay those liabilities?
4: Well, you know, we, we're looking at... Uh, and the representative is right. The governor has been making payments toward the pension, and that's a good start. Uh, but in 2011 and 12, the press release reads exactly as it reads today, that we still have a huge fiscal cliff in 2032 that needed to be addressed. I'm not sure we needed to jump on it this quickly, uh, but the fact of the matter is we've only addressed two legs of the stool. And uh, you know the employees have to be part of the discussion, and I think we have to open up uh, that agreement and have that conversation if we're going to have true structural change so that five years from now we're not in the same situation so you know w- what are the simple things we can do just a small incremental increase in cost share maybe defined contribution uh, plans for new employees new hires while we honor our obligations to the uh, to the old uh, to the old workers older workers longer workers I should say instead of older Uh, And those are the types of things we need to begin to do, eliminating overtime from pension calculations so that we begin to get a handle on how we are moving forward. Uh, And then we can do the business of making state government more effective, being partners with towns and cities and not just cost shifting, you know, our problems to them. So.
0: Uh, Malloy's proposal really bets on labor concessions uh, to reduce uh, spending. Is that a is that a tough sell? Do you think that's actually going to happen?
4: Well, seven hundred million is you know th- that's that's a lot of dollars when you look at it. And, and you know the Republicans put forth a budget a couple of years ago that asked for two hundred and fifty million in concessions, which was promised back in 2011, 12, and thirteen, and never really materialized. And you know, we were criticized at the time for reaching too far. So uh, listen, the governor probably has a plan. Uh, $700 million I think, is is a lot to ask in one year, and $800 million the next year, I think, is even tougher to ask. Uh, but it's something that he's put forward, and um, I'm, I'm not quite sure how he's going to achieve it. And, and again, going back to the pension agreement that happened a few weeks ago, where the lieutenant governor broke the tie, you know, these conversations should have been wrapped up into that because now here we are. We, we're not funding the pension of our employees by a billion dollars so that we can reduce 571 million one year and 543 the next, and then extending that payment from 2032 to 2047 by eight to ten billion dollars. So, all of this should have been part and parcel of one. Uh, discussion and then the legislature should have the opportunity to vote on it and weigh in.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy nalpith In studio with me are state legislators, uh, State Senator Paul Formica from the 20th District, co-chair of the Appropriations Committee, Representative Jason Rojas, uh, co-chair of the Finance Committee, also 1st select woman of Portland, Susan Bransfield, president of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Today we're talking about uh, the state's budget and how they're going to dig themselves out of this uh, $1.5 billion deficit for the next fiscal year. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I want to take some listener calls now. Uh, Bill's calling from Windsor Locks. Bill, you're on the show.
1: Yes, I I have a question for all your guests. And, and Lucy, I think you ought to devote an entire program to this topic. My question has three parts, but I'll make it quick. Isn't it time uh, that we have an open and honest discussion about uh, the pervasive, systematic pension padding that has been going on for decades? How about shining a bright light on how the pension padding is done and what can be done immediately to stop these moving forward? Finally, shouldn't the taxpayers have the right to review every clause of every union contract, and shouldn't there be a discussion about a clawback of benefits before any more increases in property taxes?
0: All right, Bill, thank you for those questions. I'll start with Senator Formica.
4: Well, you know, we just mentioned a little bit ago about the structural change that we think you know uh, is needed in pension, and that is, uh, I'm not sure what the caller meant specifically by padding, but if it's is it overtime, overtime, if yeah. it's overtime, mm-hmm. you know, we know we had some problems within the state police uh, re- resident trooper program some years ago, where the last three years, uh, you know, dictated what your you know, what your income was in retirement. So, yeah, I think those are easy changes to make, and I don't think they affect a lot of people here. And, and you know, he talked about, you know, having the taxpayers review. I, I think the legislature, at the very least, should be able to review um, what's going on with the, uh, with the pension. And then, you know, parallel to our discussion on state employee pension, the teacher pension, which now uh, the first select woman has talked about, That was not part of the conversation a few weeks ago, even though that shared the same fiscal balloon payment in 2032. And my guess is because the governor indicated that was going to be a cost shift to the town. So if we really want teacher pension discussions, perhaps there should be an advisory board inclusive of the communities who the governor says negotiates these teacher contracts. You know, so let's have a broader sense of conversations. And I think that would Ultimately, include the taxpayers. The caller suggests
0: um, Senator Formica says that some of those changes could be easy. Why hasn't the legislature done them, such as um, you know, combating that uh, overtime near the end of someone's career so that their pension their pension gets padded? Representative Rojas.
5: Yeah, I, I think largely because those issues are embedded in contracts and in negotiations between management and labor. Um, so the legislature comes in at kind of the tail end of it. Doesn't have the full amount of information that. Uh, both parties were privy to when they're negotiating. So it puts us at a bit of a disadvantage um, to come in at the last minute and try to suggest changes ac- actual t- after it's gone through negotiation, after it's gone to arbitration, uh, go back, legislature with less than full information, make a decision that impacts this contract. Um, I don't know what, what happens after a decision by the legislature is made to reject a contract. What happens after that, I don't know. Uh, does it put us in a, in a position to be liable for some larger cost down the road? I think it was last year where we had to pay a $100 million penalty for something John Rowland tried to do with labor contracts 15 years ago. Um, so I think we just have to be careful. I think that it's fair to have the discussion. Um, I think the incentive to allow people to pad their pensions by loading up on overtime in the last three years is, is a, a, it's not a good incentive for folks. It's Financially, it's good for the individual. I don't think it's good for the health of the public safety personnel who are doing it or Department of Corrections folks who are doing it. Um, working 80 hours a week really doesn't keep you on point when you're charged with protecting the public.
0: I wanted to turn back to uh, the president of CCM, first select woman of Portland, Susan Bransfield. Um, Senator Formica brought up, you know, the contributions to teacher pensions that mm-hmm. the governor has proposed that towns and cities start, um, you know, contributing. Um, so you represent lots of different um, towns and cities through the CCM. Sure. How are they going to be able to do that? I mean, we're going to see, you know, cuts
3: to uh, basic services in their towns. Well, I think one thing it's important to point out is that cities and towns have not been at the table in terms of the negotiations uh, associated with the teacher retirement system. Um, I I would really question how this could happen in one year. Um, Again, it's an idea that we need to talk about. We need to Um, come to a solution about, but in terms of uh, a million dollars for the size of my town, which is under 10,000 people, that's a sizable amount of uh, dollars. And it goes to the point of predictability and reliability in local budgets as well as in state budgets, we need to get to a place where we can become reliable, dependable, and know that budgets aren't going to be escalating rapidly, um, but rather are, are going to be predictable and able to be funded appropriately. One thing I wanted to point out about pensions is that many of our local governments have already dealt with this in terms of their employees. Um, Since 2002 in my community, uh, it's a defined contribution plan that was um, fairly and equitably negotiated with our unions. Um, and it's something that I think as we move ahead, as we move forward, um, we do need to modernize, let's say, government in Connecticut in terms of not only pensions, but also health care and delivery, uh, whether a high deductible health care plan is appropriate, whether these are things and options that can be discussed and fairly negotiated. Um, it's something that I think it's time for. Uh, The governor's budget presents a lot of these new ideas. Um, CCM has presented its own report, which we consider new and different because it involves all 169 towns coming together and trying to solve these problems of how do you deliver services more efficiently and at at a reasonable cost. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy
0: nall You can join the conversation today. We're talking about uh, the state's uh, fiscal uh, uh, climate at 860 uh, Again, a billion-dollar deficit ahead, and we wanted to hear from you and your questions for our legislators and municipal leaders in studio with us. Uh, Kathy's calling from Manchester. Kathy, you're on the show.
3: Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Good morning. I have a question about
1: regionalization. Many states in the country have a regional um,
3: way of paying for taxes and dividing out the funds that a state has. And Connecticut has 169 towns. And when you think
1: about a pie and you cut it 169 times, everybody gets a little slice. But when you're thinking about regionalization, we have eight counties in, in the state or thereabouts. Um, why don't we think about regionalization as a means of um, supporting on um, all of the kinds of um, services that we need. So that was just my question and comment. Um, what's your thoughts on that?
0: Thank you, Kathy, for that uh, question. I mean, We've talked about that before on the show. Yeah. I'll start with uh, Select Woman
3: Bransfield because regionalization is something you want to see more of. Sure, it sure is. And one one of the terms that we use is service sharing. Um, regionalization, just for the sake of setting up a regional government, um, I'm not in favor of something of that nature. What I'm in favor of is the product, the service that is shared, the service that is delivered. Um, Some of the services that could be more efficiently shared among towns include um, IT support, include assessing of property. Another idea is uh, regional dispatching centers. Um, There's animal control services. There are many, many services. And in addition, um, many of our communities share health services. So public health can be delivered in a regional basis or in a shared basis. And one of the best ways that you can make sure you're just not creating government for the sake of creating, but rather your service sharing, is to go from the grassroots level. So if town A, B, and C get together and they say, we can deliver education in a more efficient way, we can deliver health services in a more efficient way, and we know how to do it, Um, I think that's an important dialogue that needs to continue. It already is happening and we need the support of our legislators. I'm thrilled to be here with our legislators because some of the reasons this service sharing doesn't occur is because the laws don't allow us. Some of the collective bargaining uh, laws that we have on the books need to be addressed. Some of the charters or the rules by which local governments operate need to be overruled on occasion. Um, I'll give you one example. We were looking at sharing zoning enforcement officer uh, services in our community, and we had welcome partners in our neighboring towns, but because the collective bargaining agreements were set up such that the individual who was, pr- who was the zoning enforcement officer, he wasn't allowed to service share, there were, there were impediments, shall I say. So this whole idea of looking at how Connecticut is governed, how we can modernize and bring to, an, uh, to a point where we can be more efficient, needs to be done statutorily as well as willingly by local governments.
0: Representative Rojas, you were nodding your head when she was talking about service sharing. What can the legislature do this session to help municipalities with some of the suggestions that CCM has?
5: Yeah, no, I think she, she laid it out perfectly. You know, I'm one of those legislators that actually ran on re- regionalization every year that I've run. Um, and people are always kind of shocked that I have that on my materials. But I think the, the public there's growing interest in the topic. It's certainly not some panacea. Uh, But we do have the infrastructure in place to allow our chief elected officials to start attacking some of these issues through our councils of government. Um, Some work better than others. Um, Here in the Hartford region, we have a 39-town council of government where all the chief elected officials get together on a regular basis. And uh, you don't really see partisanship at that level. What you see are mayors concerned about the future of their communities and trying to identify ways in which they can collaborate and deliver services and save money. Um, I've been a big proponent of consolidating our uh, public dispatch centers. Metropolitan Houston has nine million people, has one public dispatch center. Here in Connecticut, we have 3.5 million people, 3.6. We have 111 public dispatch centers. Um, That's an indication, I think, of of the challenges we face in a place in Connecticut uh, where the political psychology of the state is such that we put a huge premium on local control, Huge premium on home rule. I mean, I think the broader public needs to understand that local control and that home rule comes at a price. And they need to determine how much more, how much they're willing to pay for local government because there are opportunities for savings. I mean, the state finances a lot of that local government. Um, so the relationship between the two is directly connected. Um, but I certainly think there's opportunities um, for, for moving us in a direction of greater regionalization.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nolpethanchel. Today we're talking about how Governor Malloy and the General Assembly will close a $1.5 billion deficit in the upcoming fiscal year. Coming up, we're going to talk with some more municipalities, and we're going to take your questions and comments. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email live at wmpr.org. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about Malloy's proposed budget with municipal and legislative leaders. Do you wonder how the General Assembly will vote on a final budget by June that won't impact your property taxes? Instead, would you support new revenue like tolls, a hike in the gasoline tax, maybe a local sales tax to help your town? Join the conversation 860 275 7266. Now, in studio with me again, State Senator Paul Formica, a Republican representing the 20th District, also Democrat State Representative Jason Rojas from East in Manchester, co-chair of the Finance Committee, and first-select first woman of Portland, Susan Bransfield, president of CCM. Joining the conversation now by phone is uh, the mayor of New Britain, Aaron Stewart. Mayor Stewart, welcome to the show.
6: Good morning. Thanks very much for having me.
0: And good morning, Representative Senator and Sue. Good nice. morning. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning. Uh, so good news for New Britain in terms of the of Malloy's proposal? Um. Well, kind of. Subject to interpretation, right? (laughs) On paper, it looks very good. Um,
6: It looks like New Britain will will receive about $28.1 million um, in additional funding uh, from the state underneath Malloy's budget. But, you know, I've been saying I think the devil's really in the details because there's a lot of shifting of funds from one place to another. So while it may look like we're getting more on the face of it, um, a lot of it is based off of the hospital tax. So New Britain is home to three um, very large hospitals. So we have Hospital for Special Care, um, Hartford Hospital, and Hospital for Central Connecticut have two very large campuses in town. So we would stand to generate uh, almost $11 million off of additional tax revenue if the hospital tax um, is to be passed, which, um, you know, obviously is not a bad thing for me when I look at my budget, um, but you have to think about the operations of the hospitals as well and how that, that affects it. So I guess uh, uh, all in all, it's, it's kind of moving money from, from one pocket to another. We're losing, you know, all of our grants for municipal projects money we're losing um, in the municipal revenue sharing fund uh, account. And and that's over, you know, four or five million dollars at a clip.
0: You also, when we talk about shifting money. So if you're getting more state aid um, from the state, but in terms of contributing to the teacher pensions, how would that impact you?
6: So that would actually hit my general fund budget by seven point five million dollars. So when you do all the math, even though on paper it looks like there's $28 $28 million in additional funding coming from, from the state. Really take away $11 million of that, because $11 million of that is money that um, would come from the hospital property tax. It's not technically coming from the state. Um, so then once you, you add up everything else, um, it, it's, really, it's really not a, a big benefit to the city. The city kind of has a, a net loss, and I haven't done the math on it, so don't quote me on, on the math. Um, but especially with that payment for the teacher's retirement contribution, um, that certainly would take a hit. The unfortunate reality is that, sure, could I pay for that? Yes, but I could only pay for that out of my rainy day fund for one year. It's a, it's a one-time, one-time shot, and then the following year, there's no way I, I would be able to, to make that payment.
0: Senator Formica, does the hospital uh, tax plan, does that have legs?
4: Well, I don't know if it has legs. The hospitals certainly are very leery about it, and health care is a rising cost for everybody in the community, and this seems to, on the surface, just, you know, add to that, um, you know, in in a big way. But one of the things the hospital tax does is it's is it the camel's nose in the tent. And and what happens after that? It's real estate only. Uh, It's uh, uh, something that the governor says, well, we're going to make up two hundred and fifty million to the hospitals in in uh, return for that tax to the cities and towns. Well, that's an eighty seven million dollar cost because there's a two to one match by Medicaid equals the two fifty but then they tie it to a reduction in pilot. So it's a complicated formula that doesn't seem to have a connection to each other. How is Medicaid and pilots really connected? Uh, so, you know, I don't think it, you know, it should have legs. But again, it's a conversation. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good conversation, but you heard the mayor saying at the end of the day, people are in a negative. And, and at the end of the day, what we want are people in positives. And that's including our state budget. And And I'm confident that we can come together and work at it when some of these ideas are brought to the table.
0: Representative Rojas, again, your House Chair of the Finance Revenue and Bonding Committee, where do you see this hospital tax proposal going?
5: Uh, I think there's a great deal of uncertainty as to where it's going. And I think there's um, some legitimate skepticism on the part of hospitals. 2011, we implemented the hospital tax. It is now the fourth largest revenue stream for the state of Connecticut at $700 million. Um, It was premised on uh, applying the tax getting a reimbursement from the federal government and Medicaid funding, and redistributing the money back to the hospitals. Uh, the challenge became that we didn't redistribute the money back to the hospital, at least to the extent that we promised. So I think that's why there's some hesitancy on the part of the hospital association to go along um, with this proposed plan of allowing property taxes to be levied and then leveraging some federal Medicaid dollars to try to make up for um, that revenue difference. Um, I, you know, I, I got to believe the hospitals are somewhat interested in it, but again, legitimately skeptical of whether we'll live, live up to our end of the bargain.
0: Another municipal leader is joining us by phone. This is the um, selectman of Fairfield, Michael Tetro. Welcome to the show, Selectman Tetro.
5: Good morning,
1: and thank you for the invitation to be here. And we- let me say hi to everybody who's already there. Good,
4: Good morning, morning
1: to you, sir.
0: We just have a few uh, minutes, but tell us how Fairfield is going to be hit by this uh, this budget proposal, and you know what are some of the plans that you're making on the municipal level to deal with
1: it? uh right now it's it's uh has a tremendous impact i've equated it to the financial equivalent of superstorm sandy we're getting reduced uh in total state aid fourteen point two million dollars that's in both revenue reductions and in nine million dollars of cost transfer from the uh, state teachers' pension fund biggest components are nine million in pension uh e our e c s money goes to zero and a one million dollar reduction in special ed funding, which I find uh difficult uh the challenge on all this is that one, uh, transferring costs to the towns that force us to increase property taxes makes absolutely no sense. That hurts seniors, that hurts small businesses, that hurts the local economy. I can't think of anything worse when it's not accompanied by any sort of cost reduction. So it literally doesn't change anything. The same amount of tax dollars are being paid. We just change the revenue stream, and it hurts seniors, low-income people that own property and small businesses i can't think of anything worse um, going on the um, we're making major adjustments in our budget to account for that major co- cost cuts uh... looking and every nook and cranny we can fourteen point two million dollars is just a huge number it, it could be the equivalent of an eight or nine percent tax increase when you add it to the, the normal increase that we have uh, that will not happen in fairfield uh... but that's what we have to wrestle with and change the other thing that's really bad is as much as i'm hearing uh... that the governor's proposal won't go through as planned that there will be significant changes to it uh... we're gonna finalize our budget at the end of march uh... this is the best available information we have uh... to hear in june that it will be different uh... really puts us in a quandary in a a position of potentially significantly overtaxing our residents significantly raising taxes uh... from property tax when we wouldn't have to do that if we had the answers sooner. So it really puts us in a bind.
0: Thank you so much for your comments, uh, Selectman Tetro. I'll go to State Senator Formica. I believe you used to be a selectman uh, of a, a coastal town. This is a real bind for municipalities. I as did, uh,
4: You know, seven years I had the great privilege of being first selectman of East Lime who got hit $5 million in there in their budget this year, too, not quite 14. but And that's part of the reason we need to be true partners with the communities because the first selectman's right. By April or May, uh, you know, their referendums are already done and their budgets are set, and yet we're still fiddling around up here. So there's a couple of things that I think we need to do. We need to make a commitment between and amongst ourselves up here in Hartford that we're going to give answers to cities and towns on a much earlier basis or relieve them potentially of their obligation to hold – Referendums and you know give them a 30-day, 60-day you know leave on it. If that's what we have to do, I'm uh, I would much rather come up with a situation that provides their opportunities for funding, sticks with it at an early age, at an early time, and then allow them the opportunity to move their budget for us. Because otherwise, you know you're shooting in the dark, and it it's similar to you know Representative Rojas and I were talking earlier. The, Two years I've been on the Appropriations Committee, never once have the Finance Committee who does the revenue and the Appropriations Committee who have done the expenditure had conversations together. So I think we agreed that it's time that we do that so that we can begin the process of crafting a budget the way cities and towns do, and that is spending what you have.
0: Um, this conversation doesn't, I don't think, give a lot of optimism to people listening to state residents who wonder, you know, how are you going to fix these problems? Well, let me
4: let me just add to that, and I know we're near closing, and I think it's important that there's, an, I think, a new era of conversation up here that has to be had. And Connecticut is a great state. We live in the greatest country in the world, and there's no reason that these problems can't be solved. And the people of our state and the people of the country want everybody to come together. And so in Connecticut, we're going to lead the way and come together and come out with a good budget. Because all of the ideas will be heard and debated, and we're going to take the best interests of uh, our residents in mind. (laughs)
0: But you say that, but we hear often from listeners, and I know you hear the sentiment that people, especially when they're getting close to retirement age, they say, well, we want to leave Connecticut. We can't afford it anymore. What do you say to them, Representative Rojas?
5: Yeah, you know, listen, it's hard to make that argument when you can go to Florida and have no income tax. Um, they have the luxury of having a very robust tour- tourism industry, which allows them to not have those kind of taxes that we have to have here in Connecticut. And certainly can't beat the sunny weather. Um, but I think Senator's right. You know, I think Connecticut has a strong foundation from which to grow and build. Um, We've had some great announcements in the last year about major employers investing here and and planning on thousands and thousands of jobs here. Um, So we need to be prepared for that, and we need to make sure that we're training our our workforce. We still have a great workforce, uh, but they're beginning to retire as well, and we need to make sure that we're replacing um, them with with a highly trained workforce right up behind them. But, you know, one of the important messages I think needs to be had in this conversation is we're framing it as wealthy versus poor communities, um what we really need to have is a discussion about capacity. Um and there and I think the governor's intention is to recognize that there are communities that have the capacity to deal with a lot of these issues at the local level. I um, mean can you know, we put a premium on local control and home rule, and I suppose that comes at a cost. Um, and I think the governor is trying to give an indication that if this is your priority at the local level, perhaps you'll have to pay for it. And I know there's limitations to that when you only have the property tax. Um, so that's a legitimate concern we need to have. Um, but I think people need to recognize we are a really, really racially and economically isolated and segregated state. And I think that has ramifications for all of these cost discussions that we're having.
0: Are there other revenue streams that the legislature is you know, going to discuss? That's, that the, the, that Malloy has not put on the table, such as tolls, this transportation lockbox he's asked about?
5: Well, the transportation is, is hearing a, a bill on tolls in the Finance Committee. We've raised a concept on tolls. I'm certainly interested in, in exploring a regional sales tax to support our cities that wasn't proposed. Um, so that's something I think will be coming out in the Finance Committee, but we need to make sure that it's applied on a regional basis because my fear is we give more monies to the towns. Five years from now, they've Consume that money, and they're back here saying the same thing. So, we really need to do this in a structural way, not just giving more money.
0: That's Representative Jason Rojas, who's House Chair of the Finance Committee. Thank you for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. Also, State Senator Paul Formica of the Appropriations Committee. Thank you.
4: Thank you. And being
0: here. We've run out of time, but this sounds like another show. So, uh, first select woman, thank Susan you. Bransfield, thank, thank you, you again. See. Also, thanks to uh, selectmen of Fairfield, Mike Tetro, and Mayor Aaron Stewart of New Britain. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.
3: This is WNPR.